So it's a rainy July morning here in Tokyo, and I'm stomping through puddles, walking around near Shinjuku Station as it approaches rush hour. Maybe it's the rain, maybe it's the recent uptick in coronavirus cases, but it really doesn't feel as busy as it once did pre-COVID-19. Even with the rain, though, there's still more than enough people walking about. And I wanted to come up here because I wanted to describe the scene in front of me, and it's a scene of endless masks. It's just the sea of covered mouths and tired-looking eyes. But why is it like this? Why is it that here in Japan, everyone seems so willing to wear a mask, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's humid and hot, while overseas it's turned into a much more fundamental question of freedoms and rights? Today, Japan Times staff writer Alex Martin joins me to discuss that question and gives us a brief history of Japan's relationship with masks. Good morning, Alex. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while since we've had you on. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's been how many months? It's been quite a while, but uh, thanks for having me back, Oscar. What was the last one you did? Was it the Fukushima one with the, with the solar? Was that back in yeah. February? And that article came out in yeah January or February, so it's been quite a while. It was before the, uh, the pandemic um, or, or the, during the early stages <laughs> of the pandemic, I guess. It's possible that such a time even existed. It feels like such a long time ago now. Yes. I want to quiz you about your relationship with masks. Did you wear them growing up in Japan? Um, well, whenever I had a, a bad cold, um, my mother would advise me to wear a mask. Um, I did not have hay fever or I didn't have, have, any, have any symptoms of hay fever until uh, a few years before. So when I was a child, um, that wasn't an issue. But yeah, just during the uh, influenza seasons. So mask wearing is pretty, like you, don't, you don't have any issues with masks. I bring this up because mm-hmm. for the longest time when I moved to Japan, wearing a mask seemed very out of the ordinary. And, you know, unless I was actually so sick, I couldn't leave the house. It felt sure, strange sure. to be wearing one. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, let's say, I'm not really comfortable wearing a mask uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how it feels on your face, etc. Um, but I'm comfortable watching people wearing a mask, if that makes any sense. Because there's, you know, in Japan, it's a, it's a common... Uh, um, scenery where you see people on trains and everywhere having masks on. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel any uh, sort of strangeness uh, in that sense uh, watching people. But personally, I don't really like wearing a mask. I don't know. I don't think anybody does, mm. <laughs> to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's a matter of, you know, customer. Yeah, especially now as it's kind of getting into summer. It's oh, yeah. so hot on the face. Oh, yeah. It's pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite mask? I don't. Um since the pandemic uh, started, my wife's been stocking up on whatever masks she could find. So uh, today, I think I'm wearing a, uh, a very regular-looking white, uh, non-woven fabric mask that you can find anywhere. On other days, I would have these uh, sort of three-dimensional, uh, what do you call, gray masks. That Is it the, the nice foam ones? The foam ones, yes. Um, much more breathable than the, uh, the non-woven fabric ones. But then I hear they're not as effective, so... <laughs> mm. So let's present your story. You basically wrote a history of masks and the culture of mask wearing in Japan. It's got great photos. It's a great read. Why research that story? Right. Well, ever since um, you know COVID nineteen really became a, a huge deal, 
Um, I've seen stories about Japan's mask wearing culture in a lot of overseas publications and explaining the reasoning behind it in various ways. So I thought, you know, it may be time to just actually look back in history and to see where it all began. Um, and I happened to read a story online, a Japanese story about this man, a, uh, a clinical uh, pharmacist called Mr. Hirai, who uh, is an antique collector of uh, medical paraphernalia. And uh, he seems to have a huge collection of uh, uh, antique Japanese masks. So I, I thought, you know, that could be interesting. And did you manage to get in contact with him? Yes, I did. Um, he, uh, he works in Tachikawa, which is about... 40 minutes by train from Tokyo. So I put a mask on and I braved the train and I visited his office. And then um, he had boxes and boxes of these uh, old, uh, very uh, sort of vintage uh, masks produced from, you know, anywhere from even a century before. The oldest one he had was from um, the late 1800s. This is one of the uh, the first masks that uh, was domestically produced in Japan. Um, if you read my article, I've uh, taken a lot of photographs of uh, these old masks. Um, the first one, it's a cloth mask. Um, it has a, a brass sort of wired mesh where the mouth would go. So it's quite heavy, actually. Um, it's uh, And it's very small. It only covers your nose and your mouth and your your chin would be exposed. Um, but this seems to have been the style back then. Um, I think the uh, the bigger masks that cover your entire uh, bottom half of your face is a more recent development. I didn't realize the history of masks extended that far back. So already over a century. Is that, is that the first? Mm -hmm. was, that, was that the first mask produced in Japan? Yeah. So apparently uh, in the late 1800s during the, uh, the Meiji uh, era, I think at first uh, masks were imported from, from Western nations. Uh, they were called respirators back then. And these were mainly for mine workers, factory workers, people dealing with a lot of hazardous uh, uh, air particles um, and uh, things like that. And then Japan started developing its own masks uh, for sale. And since then, they've been gradually developing over the years. Um, I think during the Taisho era, um, it really sort of bloomed. Um, various masks under different names and different brands came out. There were masks made for uh, a woman, masks for kids, masks for uh, men, obviously. You know, modern masks are basically all disposable, or the ones that we buy on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You know, we wear them a day or two and we throw them away. Um, there are washable masks, obviously, cloth masks that uh, people use as well. But the ones back in these days are apparently costed about 3,000 to 3,500 yen in today's standards. That's about, what, $30, $40. So it's quite expensive. So people would um, yeah, buy these uh, disposable uh, gauze cloth things that mm. they would insert into the masks. They would throw these away, but the mask itself, you know, they would preserve. So it was quite an expensive uh, product back then. That's why if you check out the photos, you know, there, you see leather masks, you see suede masks, you see uh, cloth masks, there's, uh, all these different sort of uh, uh, things going into actually making one. And it's quite interesting. They all came in nice little boxes as well. Yeah, the, for the photos that came with your articles are great. Um, and the, these are all from this same guy. Um, yes. Hirai, who yes. is the collector. So he's been um, just going around uh, antique fairs in Tokyo mostly, he said, and uh, just digging out old masks and other interesting sort of stuff that he could find. Um, old cold medicine um, that come in little sort of flimsy uh, paper little packages. Um, those are really interesting too. I didn't uh, post any online uh, photos of them, but uh, you know, you see the artwork from uh, back in the uh, early Showa days or even before that, and uh, it has a very retro chic sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, appeal. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's a really nice design. But mm -hmm. he, he also had, and I think in your article there's a, a picture of it, there was a, uh, a Yukio 
a print of right. a, someone actually wearing a mask in a doctor's office. It's so the, he, he has a, um, it's actually called a, a Nishikie, um, it's mm. similar to Nukia, obviously, but uh, yeah, he showed me this. Uh, on my art, <laughs> art terminology. <laughs> he showed me this uh, Nishikie print that he had um, dating from the Edo period. It's, it depicts a scenery uh, scene at a, uh, seems like a medical clinic and there's a, uh, a masseuse and an acupuncturist and a, and a doctor there. And one of the uh, the patients, he has a, a cloth towel sort of wrapped around his uh, mouth. Um, he probably had a cold. Um, so it seems that, you know, covering your mouth when, you, when you're when you sick or when you have a cold was uh, a custom from, from the Edo period. Mm-hmm. So that would date it back kind of to the 17th, sure. 18th century. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a long history of masks in Japan, even depicted through art, as, as you've got in your article. But mm-hmm. when did masks really take off as something that was very popular and, and commonly used for medical purposes? Right. Well, the, the, the biggest incident was obviously the, the, the Spanish flu um, of uh, 1918 to 1920 or so, I guess. Last night I had a headache and felt cold and shivery. I knew there was a lot of flu about but instead of going to bed at once and keeping warm, I went out to a party. Yes, I've got flu all right, and I feel awful. Um, a lot of people died in Japan as well, I think. Uh, let me see, there's 450,000 in Japan and 280,000 in uh, Taiwan and the Korean Peninsula. Back then, uh, Japan uh, had the Korean Peninsula and Taiwan under colonial rule. So when the Spanish flu really hit Japan, um, obviously masks became huge. And uh, people were advised to you know, go out and wear masks and they were considered effective. Um, but as I said before, these masks usually cost you know, 3,000, 4,000 yen in today's standards. It's, it's something for relatively affluent people. So newspaper articles back then would have uh, sort of give guidelines on how you can make your own mask at home. Sort of similar to what's happening right now, I think. Mm, um, it's interesting now having mm-hmm. the kind of shift from, mm-hmm. or actually back to masks that you can reuse on a regular basis. I know yeah. certainly in Japan early on, all the masks disappeared off the shelves. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually I had my aunt sew me and uh, send me mm-hmm. a cloth mask made out of my grandpa's old shirts. Which looks um, very nice. Yes. <laughs> which listeners can't see, but it's mm-hmm. got a nice check pattern. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it's interesting how making your own mask is coming back into fashion. Right, yeah, especially during the initial phases when uh, there wasn't enough, enough masks going around. I think that's not the case anymore in Japan at least, but uh, yeah. So once the Spanish flu pandemic ended in 1920, did the practice of wearing masks start to dwindle or was it basically embedded by then? Uh, it seems to have stuck around. Um, during the early Showa period, this would be... Um, after the Spanish flu, obviously, these sort of three-dimensional looking masks started uh, becoming, uh, come, came in vogue. Um, you, s- you can see them even today, I think. You know, if you know what I'm talking about, these three-dimensional, it looks yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. they have like a beak sort of. Yeah. <laughs> um, although back then they were made from uh, leather or um, cloth, um, different materials than what, what it's made, made today. So it gradually developed and, uh, you know, again, uh, various materials, various forms were made. They're still quite expensive, but then... Um, when the Second World War uh, erupted and uh, a lot of uh, resources were uh, um, used by the military, uh, material used to make masks um, became very scarce. Mm. So by the end of the war, um, they were selling what they called Patriot masks, which is basically just a flimsy piece of cloth with some strings attached. And, you know, looking at through, you know, the history of masks up until here, and you look at the original mask, which is like this heavy-duty, you know, 
thick cloth. Yeah, it's using, like a kind of piece of steampunk gear or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, in, you know, coming in a nice little box, and then you see this uh, patriot mask and a you know, you know, flimsy sheet of paper, and you, you know, you think about you know, oh, you know, it's it's really interesting. It, it's sort of you know, you trace masks, and you you can also sort of trace Japan's history from you know back then. So Spanish flu is something that affected the entire world. You know, it's one of the most deadly pandemics in human history. Mm-hmm. Why did mask-wearing culture stick around in Japan and, and why did it not become prevalent in other countries, you know, p- potentially far worse hit countries in Europe or North America? Um, I can't really uh, uh, give an explanation for why it did not become pre- prevalent in either in Europe or the U.S., um, I, I think it's you know it's probably a matter of uh, very different cultural sort of uh, um, perceptions on how you view masks. When I was talking to Hirai, the uh, the pharmacist, he said something interesting. He said, uh, you know, in the states, uh, you know, there's a lone ranger. He hides his eyes, but his uh, his mouth is wide open. Whereas in Japan, um, when you look at uh, uh, sort of uh, superheroes for kids, uh, they would hide their mouth. You know, mm. They would have a mask that would hide their mouths, but the eyes show. So, you know, he said that, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's a cultural thing where, uh, um, you know, <laughs> hiding your eyes or hiding your mouth. I don't know. It's, it's a sort of a, a very, um, you know, it, it's, that, that doesn't answer the question. But I think, I think um, traditionally, even going back to like old Shinto rituals, there's a notion of uh, sort of you're not supposed to be defiling sacred places or sacred objects so you would put a piece of paper um right in front of your mouth so i think it's, it's a cultural thing that goes back um you know centuries and centuries in japan so i think you know people here are just accustomed to covering their mouths um if they're asked to and uh, it's not really a big deal mm-hmm. and was it was there a lot of government campaigning around wearing masks during that spanish flu period yeah. obviously you said that mm-hmm. the ones by the end of the war were known as the patriot masks so. mm-hmm. Right. During the Spanish flu, there were uh, many posters out there saying, you know, reckless are those who don't wear masks and, you know, showing pictures of uh, uh, commuters on trains. Um, everyone's wearing a mask, but there's one guy who's not. And you can see his sort of breath sort of spreading, you know, germs inside the uh, train. And, you know, this was, you know, from 100 years ago. So mm. uh, it, was a, it was a sort of a, um, it was a campaign, uh, a government led um, campaign to sort of ask people to wear masks. I know in um, other East Asian countries, SARS was the big catalyst for people wearing masks. What what did SARS do for Japan's mask wearing culture? Um, I was living here during that time, but I don't really recall noticing anything different personally. That's probably because uh, Japan recorded zero fatalities from SARS. It wasn't we saw it on, on on the news, but it wasn't something people living here would actually worry about. So, in terms of mask wearing culture, I don't think. The SARS uh, epidemic had too much impact, um, at least on Japan. Um, obviously, uh, for people in China or uh, other affected areas, it was a big deal. But uh, in Japan, at least, um, it wasn't too much. COVID-19 has been around now for, what, six months? Unless it's disappeared in the brief window between recording this episode and putting it out into the world. <laughs> so how's that impacted on masks and mask wearing in Japan? Well, you know, during the initial phases, there was a big mask shortage and uh, people were just scrambling, just lining up in, drug, in front of drugstores to trying to get, you know, one or two masks that they can grab. So a lot of business sort of sprouted over the past few months. Um, uh, companies that would 
wouldn't be making masks on, on a regular you know basis would start producing masks. Um, so a lot of uh, domestic production, I think, um, really. Uh, began over the past few months. Uh, Uniqlo, the, the huge clothing uh, industry, I mean chain, sorry, um, they produced the uh, the Airism breathable mask, which became a huge thing. Mm. Um, they're constantly sold out. Yeah, uh, you managed to interview one of their PR people for your article, but mm-hmm. when we tried to get them on the podcast, they said they were no longer promoting it because... Right. They were setting out so quickly, right? Yeah, so I, I think uh, they're getting uh, claims from customers who, who want to purchase one but can't get, get their hands on them. So uh, at this point, yeah, the, the PR people said uh, we don't want to sort of uh, have too much exposure. <laughs> it was fascinating seeing the reception to the launch of that mask here. You know, it came around the peak of the mask debate in the US and it was amazing to see the different reactions between mm-hmm. the countries towards masks. In Japan, you literally had people running through shopping malls and queuing for hours to get their hands on these new masks. There were great videos that came out of Twitter. I don't know whether great's the right word, but, you know, exciting. Yeah, it's very interesting to see the reaction to a mask here versus the I believe in my own freedom above anyone else's safety displays of passion we've seen coming out of the U.S., yeah, it's it's an enormous contrast, I think, um, what's happening in the U.S. and and what's happening in Japan. It's a you know it's a 180 degree difference on on how you view wearing a mask. Um, it's really you know not a big deal in Japan, but you know I guess uh, for some Americans it's uh, you know it's a matter of uh, your your rights, I guess, and uh, mm-hmm. patriotism and things like that. And I think another example of that difference is that. One of the first things Japan tried to do early on, even though it, I think, was pretty poorly executed and no one's going to disagree with that, was to try and distribute masks to every household in the country. Right. Um, I think I received mine last month, finally, after months and months of waiting, uh, dubbed the Abeno mask, um, these cloth masks. Um, that are quite small, actually. They they don't cover your chin, but uh, <laughs> but I think you know by doing that, the government was making a point that you know, hey, let's wear a mask. And uh, the distribution uh, network, or you know, how they were getting delivered, was, was obviously bungled, as you mentioned. But uh, I think uh, it had a, a certain amount of PR effect. I think. And a government panel focusing on coronavirus also said that they believed one of the reasons Japan's so far escaped the high death toll we've seen around the world is due to the widespread adoption mm-hmm. and use of masks. Right, right. One of the reasons, not not the sole reason, mm. obviously, but uh, various factors involved. But mask wearing is considered, yes, one, one of the reasons uh, to keep the death toll down. I know that in the UK, they're about to implement legislation so that people have to wear masks within shops and they're liable for a £100 fine, which mm-hmm. is about uh, 15,000 yen if they're caught without one in a, in a shop. But it's still kind of crazy to me that when I see photos from friends back home, so many people out and about on the streets aren't wearing masks. I guess it comes from the kind of confused messaging that's existed around masks over the pandemic period. You know, I wear a mask here in Japan now, but I wonder whether I would wear one um, if I was back in the UK Right. If you go out without a mask in Tokyo, you're one of the very, very small minority. And you feel very self-conscious being the only one in a crowd to not be wearing a mask. Sure. And I understand, you know, there's a debate um, of, you know, whether masks are actually effective or not. I mean, not everyone can get their hands on N95 uh, uh, respirators, right? Um, mm-hmm. So what we have to do, you know, we can buy these uh 
cheap masks at drugstores or make your own cloth masks. And there are doctors who say that, you know, the, the fiber in these masks are too, um, I mean, the, the gap between the fibers are too wide, so they're not really effective, etc. But uh, I think one, you know, benefit of wearing a mask is you're not as chatty. Mm. Obviously, you have something, you know, right in front of your mouth. You won't, you won't be sort of uh, as talkative um, in uh, public situations as you will be without a mask. Um, plus, you wouldn't be touching your face too much. Mm. I have a habit of uh, touching my beard constantly. <laughs> it's been, you know. <laughs> I had a moustache pre-COVID, uh, uh-huh. which I shaved off because I was touching it too much. Oh, really? And I, really? Yeah, I just wanted to reduce the amount of time my hands were near my mouth. Yeah. And nose. Yeah. I mean, I still have my beard and uh, people would just constantly tell me that, you know, stop touching your beard. You know, it's sort of annoying that you're constantly <laughs> touching your beard. But I think I've sort of overcome that uh, strange habit now because uh, I'm wearing a mask mm. and, you know, you, you can't sort of reach underneath. Your, I mean, I guess you could, but you know, it's sort of <laughs> it's, yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's so, you know, it has these, I think it's not, not, not only the, uh, you know, sort of concealing your own breath and preventing yourself from uh, inhaling, you know, outside particles. I mean, that's the major, that's the big thing about masks. But besides that, I think there's, you know, various sort of other habitual things that come with wearing a mask that helps uh, lessens uh, contagion risks. Yeah. Although one of the major concerns of wearing masks is that they might provide a false sense of security. And as you quite rightly pointed out, they're considered to be just one of the measures preventing widespread infection here. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how the conversation has shifted around masks throughout the COVID pandemic. Back when we first reported on COVID, when we were still calling it the Wuhan coronavirus back in February, Mm -hmm. the WHO's advice was that masks are probably ineffective. Still, everyone in Japan wore them because that was already the habit. And as a result, mask culture here seems to be really flourishing. You wrote one really ex- interesting example in your piece about a manufacturer who started selling refrigerated masks through their right. company vending machine. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's a small knitwear uh, manufacturer uh, based in Yamagata. Um, and apparently they have a uh, vending machine set up right outside their office. So when uh, the pandemic came and um, people were looking to buy masks, they thought, okay, well... Uh, Maybe we'll sell them in, in a vending machine. So, so for 690 yen each, they would they would sell uh, masks in these vending machines, and obviously they come out pretty cold <laughs> because it's refrigerated. Um, and that was a big straight surprise, you know, hit. And so they realized that you know there might be demand for um, sort of cold colder masks for mm. the summer season. So they developed a uh, they call it the Hiyashi uh, cooling mask. That began selling in mid-May or so, I think. It has two sockets where you can insert sort of ice packs <laughs> and to keep your face cold uh, during the hot and humid seasons. And it seems to be a huge hit as well. Have you got your hands on one? No, I haven't. Um, maybe I should. Yeah, it, I thought I'd send you some free samples for oh, yeah. interviewing the guy. It is getting extremely humid, um, at least here in Tokyo. Um, so it's maybe, it might be about time. <laughs> but as well as that, they've also the other one you talked about was the specific one made for hostesses, which is mm. um, it's kind of a three-part face veil that you can lift up parts so that the hostess in a, in a hostess club can you know, mm-hmm. lift up the veil to, I mm-hmm. guess, drink champagne or whatever. Yeah, whatever. it reminds uh, me of the, uh, <laughs> the um, I don't know the specific term for the, uh, the face veils that belly dancers uh, wear, but they mm. look very similar. Um, yeah, and the other one I saw, which seems to be the most future-focused mask out there, is the sea mask by a company called Donut Robotics. Have you heard about this? No. Yeah, it's supposedly an AI-powered mask that can amplify your voice through a through a phone and also translate them to i think it's up to eight different languages wow. they smash through their uh, crowdfunding campaign target and are set to launch this fall i think 
yeah, it's getting closer and closer in design to the Batman Bane mask. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, Batman covers his eyes, but he doesn't cover his mouth, right? Going back to the uh, the superhero thing. Mm, whereas the villain covers the mouth and not the eyes. Yeah, yeah. So we've already had half a year of the pandemic and it doesn't show any signs of slowing down in the near future. And mask wearing is increasing in many different countries. Mm -hmm. Do you think they're going to become a permanent fixture of life around the world from now on? It could well be. Um, at least in Japan, as it was the case before, mask wearing culture is uh, it's very rooted here. It's probably going to be the same um, throughout the pandemic and probably even after that. Not sure about the case you know, in, in the US, um, whether mask wearing will become the norm. Um, I hope I hope it will, <laughs> because, you know, there's no harm done. I mean, obviously, during the hot season, wearing a mask and, you know, maybe even running around and working out, it's, it's very um, stressful for your body. And uh, you got really have to worry about dehydration and stuff like that. But in general, um, you know, if, if there's sickness going around, um, wearing a mask is the thing to do. So, And in other nations, I don't know, maybe Europe, um, other parts of Asia, we'll see. Mm. I think what's kind of exciting about this and the fact that masks have become so prevalent now is, is just this element of design that's going into them that wasn't there before and I wonder if we'll see a shift back to those um, you know going back to the images that you have in your article of these great little boxes these really nicely designed reusable masks. I saw that the Japanese designer Yoji Yamamoto already has a range of masks out and I believe it's Isatan the big fancy department store also has a range of about 40 different masks all designed by different Japanese designers. But yeah, I, I wonder if we'll see a shift back to these you know, very cool looking reusable masks that aren't, you know, just a piece of gauze that you throw away and, you know, actually become a treasured item. Yeah. I mean, and if that sort of con convinces people who are averse to masks um, into purchasing one, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's one more person wearing a mask, which helps. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's like buying a necktie or buying a pair of gloves. You buy a expensive mask and keep it with you for the day you need it and it's, 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 I think it's a good idea You've been listening to Deep Dive My guest this week was Alex Martin Thanks so much to him for coming on and you can read his full piece online at japantimes.co.jp A link will be in the episode notes Thanks as always for listening. If you like the podcast, please do consider rating us and reviewing us on whichever podcasting service you use. It helps us get discovered by new listeners and we greatly appreciate all the feedback we get there. I'm actually taking some time away from the office for a couple of weeks, so there'll be no new episodes until August. But next week, we'll be bringing you a rerun of episode 20, Fear and Loathing on Mount Fuji, where I take my colleague Sean McKenna to the top of Japan's tallest mountain. Until we speak again, thanks as always for listening and Potsukare Sama. Finally going this Thursday. Yeah? Yeah. When was the last time you oh got a haircut? At least four, five months ago. It's just... Four, five months ago. It's going crazy now. <laughs> that's why I'm wearing a hat, but it doesn't... That's not even helping anymore. <laughs>